Welcome to my podcast from Chaos to Peace with Connie. I am Connie Graf and your host, and I will explore with you how a few minutes a day can keep the chaos away. And with chaos, we're talking about the physical, digital, social, financial, mental, emotional, and spiritual clutter that can accumulate in our life and business. In every episode, I want to make you aware how clutter is so much more than you think, how it affects your finances, and how clearing your clutter leads to more time, more money, and more peace. Let's go. Well, hello, my friend. Welcome to the podcast. I am Connie Graf, your host. Thank you so much for allowing me back into your ears. Please subscribe and follow the podcast if you haven't done so yet. This way you never miss an episode. And please, please, please share this episode or the podcast with your family, friends and business besties. Because if you find value in what I'm talking about, they will too. Today, I welcome Beate Chalette as a guest. Beate is the growth architect and founder of the Women's Code. She provides visionaries and leaders with proven strategies, blueprints and growth maps that provide clear steps to improve business systems, strengthen leadership skills and teams. She definitely knows what she's talking about as Beate bootstrapped her passion for photography into a global business that she then sold to Bill Gates in a multi-million dollar deal. But before all of that, she had to get through a decade of adversity and bad luck, go through a breakup, lose a job as a single mom, survive an earthquake all by herself and was sued and on and on. The adversity was just coming after her. And that's what we're talking about in this conversation. First, the reasons why she left Germany at a young age without a plan. And then how she ended up in this decade-long adversity and bad times as a single mom without a job. She then talks about how she had to become very disciplined with her thinking to not allow mental clutter derail her. The mindset and thought discipline that eventually got her out of the adversity and all the way to that point where she sold her business to Bill Gates for millions. What her super, super skill is and what role strategy plays in it. Also, what strategy really is, because apparently most people get this wrong. And then we also talk about when to surrender to the circumstances and when to strategize and do we need both to get ahead? How she got into hot water speaking up and out about women's equality and what she does now instead. Okay, without further ado, let's jump into this very insightful conversation with Beate Chalet. Hello, Beate. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Connie. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, please tell my audience where in the world you're located. And also, I always ask my guests to share something that is special about them or that is surprising about them. Well, I live in Los Angeles in the United States, and I've been here for a very, very long time. And what is surprising about me is that I left Germany in my early 20s and I had no plan just wanted to find an adventure do the year abroad only to never return 
<laughs> yeah, that is um, that is something. I was mid thirty when I left Switzerland, but um, I'm not sure I had a plan. <laughs> so sometimes we need to be adventurous. Exactly. But so I read about you, or maybe I heard it on a other podcast that you had a decade of adversity and a lot of difficult times and you were also single mom and in debt but then eventually you sold your business to bill gates for millions so take us a little bit so you went left germany in your mid-20s and then what happened then and what got you here because now you're really a thought leader and an authority so really love to know the story of course of course of course yeah so i mean we, we got to go back, you know, first to Germany and really talk about um, what happens a lot of times to people that have big dreams and then try to figure out where they fit in. Because our systems are not entirely set up for us to follow our dreams, but rather they're littered with people telling us that what we want cannot be achieved or that it's the wrong thing. And especially when you come from a society, and I'm sure Switzerland is no different than Germany, it's very, you know, it's very one, two, three, four, color inside the lines. Yeah. Make sure your your, your eyes are, have the dot perfectly and the T's have the, have the cross. But there's a lot of people that are not like that. And then what happens to those? Well, they're being told that they're difficult, that they're problematic, that they talk too much, they're disruptive. But if we look at this from the perspective of where Connie, you and I are today, and we look back, we're going to tell probably your audience, if that's you, congratulations, because innovation doesn't happen within the boundaries of existing knowledge. Innovation happens outside of that. And I think that originally was the discrepancy that I felt, Connie, that I that there was something inside of me that was was coming out. And there was a part of society telling me that that was ridiculous or stupid or that what the heck was I thinking? Mm -hmm. And so when I left Germany, it was mostly to get away from that strict strict way of how things are done to figure out who I was. And then I ended up in Los Angeles after a stint in Key West and had started just out as an employee, artist representative. And then I fell into still photography production, which was great fun. And then I was laid off right after I had a a baby. So my baby was six months old and the economy was, was crashing. We were in a massive recession. And then my boss said, I'm sorry, I can't afford you anymore, but you know, you'll feel free to take the business with you because I'm closing this entire division. Well, the reason it did that was it wasn't making any money. Mm -hmm. And so I now had to figure out how to become an entrepreneur while I, at that time, you know, had a very small child. My relationship was a disaster. And then it started with the first big disaster, the big earthquake here in Los Angeles. And, and then I had to figure out how I was going to make it without this relationship because I realized in a moment where you think you're going to die in a, in a violent earthquake like this and your life is over, then you go, well, if this is the last day of my life, what do I do? I, I will not be with this person. 
And so that's when really the decade of bad luck began where I had to fight for my survival step by step by step. And, uh, you know, we're talking fires, floods, riots, hmm. talking this earthquake, we're talking September 11th, we're talking about a lawsuit from a former employee. And no matter where I went, the hits just kept coming. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds sounds extremely hard. So I want to so we, we kind of come from the same background where we're constantly told, well, if you don't fit the mold, then you might be wrong or rebellious. I was told I'm a rebel constantly and always have to say no, <laughs> whatever else. But would would you say this this the way you are and where you came from in Germany was also helping you to not go under or how did you how did you like I, I call it often mental clutter when we are taking on the the thoughts of others and then especially if we're in hard times well then the brain tells us oh yeah they were right and who am I and all this but how did you get get through were you your rebellious streak or how how do you like how you survive a decade of difficult times that sounds really hard yes it, it was extremely hard because i had no money i had a child that was fully responsible for i had no family i had no mother that would come over and say honey yeah. take a bath i'll watch the baby i mean it wouldn't even occur to my mother to go on a plane and fly to los angeles to help me i mean not a chance in hell my mother would do something like that mm -hmm. my, my dad did but not but but it was difficult because it was just me the entire time it was just me my my micro family of two people you have to get into a mindset of what do i have control over because if i were to have allowed myself to think about the chaos i was in Hmm. then I would have run and everybody would have said, look, you know, Beata, you have so much adversity and it was so difficult. You declared bankruptcy, you were $135,000 in debt. You took a job. You know what? You tried your very best. Um, it just wasn't meant to be. Hmm. But for me, the driving thought was first, I wanted to prove everybody wrong. And then I wanted to prove myself right. Mm -hmm. which is a much better thought. Yeah. And then I realized that I had to be a lot more disciplined about the way I thought about things. Because mm -hmm. if I would allow myself to fall in the despair of what I couldn't do or what wasn't available to me, I, I would have, I would have, I would have not survived in that sense. So I trained myself to think about money only twice a month, which is when I had to pay bills, which I still do to, to this day mm -hmm. where I, you know, on, on whether times are good or bad or investments are up or down, I don't dwell on this every single day. I, you know, twice a month, I look at the numbers and they are what they are, and then I'll do what I need to do. Mm -hmm. But you want to go to this point where you get very, very clear about what you what you are allowing into your inner inner thought process, really. And it's a lot of clean thinking. You have to stay focused on what you have control over. Mm -hmm. I did. I always thought about, you know, if it's possible, other people are doing it. 
then it must be possible for me. If it's possible for me, then the question isn't can I, but how can I? Mm -hmm. And when you think about the question, how can I versus can I, then your brain already starts volunteering information or it tries to find ways to get there. And, and that's, I think, the mindset shift that over time, as these things kept happening, they made me stronger and better. And yes, of course, you know, the German engineering and that discipline and thinking and the way I was raised, of, of course, it has a lot to do with it. When I was a kid, I could never get what I want and everything I wanted was weaponized against me. Hmm. So I, ha I learned a lot of skills that are important business skills, keeping my cards closed, um, making sure that, you know, I knew my stuff, that I was diligent about how I did things. So yeah, a lot of stuff I had to learn. Yeah, I think also resilience or like not giving up and, and not not losing face somehow, which is not always good, but oftentimes it serves us, right? Because you're you're kind of like, no, 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 I'm 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 getting there, I'm getting there. Did you figure that out yourself that you have that clean thinking, like literally being also very intentional with your thinking, or did you hear that somewhere? Or did you have a mentor eventually, or did that come to you in I don't know in a dream <laughs> no I mean I think the first book I ever read about this was uh the power of positive thinking by Norman Vincent Peale mm -hmm. and that I read when I was still in Germany so that's the first time I had heard that concept I had a roommate before I got married who was very much into channeling and entities and spirituality and mm -hmm these types of things. And so I, I've always been really interested in the other side of things. I remember when I was a child, I, 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 I went flying every night. I thought everybody knew how to do that. You know, I felt like I left my body and I was flying outside and then mm -hmm. eventually that went away. And when I told my mom about it, she just told me to stop it. But these types of things, so I've always felt that there was, I had a strong connection to a spiritual, a spiritual side of things. And I wanted to reconnect. So I did whatever yoga and I, you know, I, I did get into a lot of spirituality at the time. And when you go into spirituality, the deeper you go, the more you realize it's all connected. And mm -hmm. that no matter on whether it's Tony Robbins or, a big internet marketer, they're all using the same principles. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The more you get into it, you, you almost hear it everywhere. And some people say it open and others yeah. don't say it open, but you can read it between the lines. And um, and so, yeah, that, that helps for sure. So when was then the transition that you, well, now let's ask different. So you say now that your super skill is finding the hidden opportunities for other people. Did you find first your own hidden opportunity and that's how you created that super skill or um because yeah, with it, other people we often see more what they can do than we see mm -hmm. with ourselves no so what i'm trying to figure out is how did you how did you lift yourself out of this with with hidden opportunities whether that was already for you and then now you're helping others well you you look at your life and you go and i I'm a trained photographer. And then I realized I was better at the business side of things. So I became a photo editor. That was wonderful. And I had great times at the magazines, 
But ultimately, at 23, I had reached the pinnacle of my career in this particular industry. And then I wanted to become somebody that I wanted to be. And then it was a photo representative, a still photography producer. And then I ended up in stock photography. And that's the business that I sold for millions to Bill Gates. Now, if I look at the stock photography and I look at where the opportunities were, every skill set I've ever had now was part of that. And knowing what photographers wanted, because I was a photographer rep, enabled me to make an offer to these photographers and have a strategy to get the right photographers that I couldn't have done if I didn't have the experience. Mm -hmm. I being photo edited at Elle magazine and buying stories ultimately enabled me to build an international syndication into 79 countries that licensed my images because I understood that that part even existed. Mm -hmm. And so the hidden opportunity is that now, if I look at the spiritual principles, the law of polarity, it means that it makes a perfect sense today that it happened the way it happened. Because if I had the idea, the solution must exist. Mm -hmm. Because white can only exist because black exists. Like, how would you know it's white unless there was black? And mm -hmm. the in-between is the neutral gray. If you are broke, you only know that you're broke because you know people who are wealthy. So if you know that people are wealthy, then, and you want to be wealthy, then it must be available for you. So the question is never can I, but always how can I? But people get so caught up in their own stories. And for me, I as I'm recognizing these principles, there's a part where you go like, well, I'm not there. And you are upset that you're not there. But then there's a part where you go like, but it, it's possible. I, I can see it every day. I see friends of mine doing it. I, I see people sell businesses for millions of dollars and I know it exists. So how do I get there? And that's when you have to be really diligent about continuing going down that road versus being thrown off because then you're eliminating pathways that are not supposed to get you there. Mm -hmm. But that's when people give up because they're like, oh, it's just not meant to be. It's just too difficult. Well, it's difficult because that's not the way or because we are controlling the outcome in today where I'm, I am in my spiritual development. If you so want to, I'm really working on the concept of surrender right now. Mm -hmm. Back then I had to surrender because I had nothing. And I had no other, I had exhausted every avenue. I, I had spent every dollar I didn't have. Yeah. So I, there was no more money. Mm -hmm. And then I just had to surrender because I, ha I I couldn't control this part. And then look what happened. And so now that I'm more conscious about the power of surrender, now I'm thinking about what do we need to surrender today to allow this path to naturally unfold? Yeah. So it's interesting because I'm also for about a year now reading several books about surrender. Now, since you talked about this, I know you're also uh, really good at strategy. Where, how would you or how do you blend this between the surrendering? But strategy involves like we're looking at the big picture, we're having a strategy, we're working backwards and we're figuring out what we need to do. But at the same time, we're talking about we need to surrender. So how do you? How do you figure out when to do what? Yes, 
that is an excellent, excellent question. And here's why. Because most people think that one is at the exclusion of others. Uh, so you either are strategic, which in the minds of many people is cold, heartless, money-oriented, decisive, logical. Or you're spiritual, which is in the flow of things, fluffy, emotional. So how do you merge the both? Mm -hmm. I actually, you know, this is a quote that I just rediscovered from 15 years ago where I said, I always considered myself a spiritual warrior in a business suit because I actually don't think that there's a conflict at all. I believe that the that a lot of people that have that spiritual mindset are like the visionaries that I work with and they like flying planes at 30,000 feet and they keep flying and flying and flying. Mm -hmm. They never think about the airport. They never think about gas, you know, refueling the airplane and then they crash. Well, because you, you just like flying. You didn't plan a trip. On every trip, you have to fuel up. You have to rest. You have to sleep. You have to have a strategy on where you take that plane and where you're flying to. Just flying alone isn't going to get you there because you don't even know where you're flying to. So the spiritual aspect comes into relying that what I'm pulling down is, is the connection to the divine that allows me then to take what you say, what I'm pulling down, and create a strategy around it. And that's really my super skill. I was on a podcast earlier today and the podcast host says, well, you know, for example, I have this ring and this is the ring that my wife and I, and it's a stainless steel ring. And he's like taking me, he says, well, take me through how you would find the hidden opportunity in this. And it took me literally 10 minutes and I had a whole strategy for him laid out. And he says, how do you do that? I said, well, because I, I completely and utterly trust that the images I see and what comes to mind is what I need to tell you. Mm -hmm. I don't judge that. I'm here to help you land your plane. Not my plane, your plane. And that is where you use the spirituality and strategy hand in hand is that you know you have this ability to, to reverse engineer, but... To reverse engineer a landing, you also need to have a plane somehow that flies. Mm -hmm. And then, so I like for, I, that's why I like working with visionaries, Connie, and, and thought leaders, because to me, it's fascinating when somebody has an idea and then it's so obvious to me. It's like, dude, how can you like not see that? Mm. But they don't because it's their plane yeah. and they are flying. They don't see the terrain. They don't know how to fully read the instruments. They've never landed a plane. So they just go like, I don't even know what to do. And that's where I come in. That's where I help. Yeah. And this is what I meant earlier. Sometimes we really don't see it in our own life and somebody has to come from the outside. But you seem to have, have had the, the skill and the gift to see it in your own, in your own situation. And you could like turn the... the fade around, let's say like that to and, and figure out your own strategy. What I also uh, want to talk with you about um, is like a lot of like strategy, I feel like is a, is a little bit of a buzzword lately, everybody has a strategy. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Jesus. Sometimes, 
like I'm a social media strategist and I'm a whatever the hell I'm gonna call myself a financial strategist or whatever it's crazy and most people don't even know what a strategy is so but you have I think several types of strategies talk a little bit about that because I feel like Again, like everybody is a strategist and that can't yeah, be Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. So let's make that, let's let's take your audience through this to make sure that they understand what, what this even means because you're absolutely correct. A lot of people just throw around strategist and, and then everyone yeah. goes like, yeah, well, that sounds really fancy, but what does it mean? So in order for you to come up with an actual strategy, here are the steps. The first thing we do is an evaluation of where you are right now because that is non-negotiable. That is what it is. Mm -hmm. it, you know, you're either making money or you're not. Your offer either works or it doesn't. You either have clients or you don't. You're either meeting your goals or you don't. That's our starting point. That's fixed. Then we determine the goal. Where do you want to go? That's already where 90% of people go off. Well, I'd be okay with 100,000, but 500 would be more, would be better. Um, I would like to have clients, but not too many. And uh, I want to have a course and I want to sell for a lot of money to a lot of people. I have no idea who these people are or if they even want this course, but I'm going to create it anyway because I've bought a course from someone, from an internet marketer and I better get to it. And I have the quiz. So a lot of people uh, try to identify what they want based upon the email, the last email that they get in or the latest internet marketing gimmick that they're falling prey to. Mm. That's not a strategy and that's certainly not a goal. So my goal, my question always is, what do you want? What do you mean? Well, what do you want? How much money do you want to make? How does the work-life balance look like? What are your goals? What's a business model that you are comfortable with? And then we design the business model because once we have the, once we are clear where we are going, then with that goal, we can design the growth plan by year one, by year two, by year three, by year four, by year five. Although I don't really recommend anybody mapping this out for more than three years at a time right now. Mm. And then you go and say, what is the strategy that's going to get me to that goal? Because we have the starting point and we have the goal. Then and only then can I create a strategy. Mm -hmm. so when people come to me and they have a business and there's convolution, the first thing that we do is like, where do you want to go? Who are you? How does this all fit in? Where are you? Where's the business? The minute that becomes clear and we know where we are, we say, okay, so... What's our path to get there? And then we design the strategy because then we know what we need to do. So if you need to make 100 phone calls to get two clients, you want 10 clients, you need to make 500 phone calls. Mm -hmm. Can you make 500 phone calls? Or do you need to hire somebody to make these other 400 phone calls? Well, that's going to cost money. Where are you going to get the money from? How are you going to, what is this person going to say? So then we go and we really map this out step by step. I give you an example on how sometimes this works. So I talked to a woman and she just had created a 
financial fitness course. I said, who is your client? And she says, well, everybody needs this. Okay. How much is it? $5,000. What is my comfort level or my thoughts on a $5,000 financial course for everybody? Not high because people want more money. They don't want to learn financial fitness. Yeah, and the other thing I, that comes to my mind is the people who have $5,000 to spend don't need the course, and the ones who would need the course to be financially fit probably don't have the $5,000. So, so there you go. And then I said to her, well, how many of these do you want to sell? She says, a million. Hmm. I said, what's your conversion model? She says, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. I said, well, if I look at what the typical conversion right now is with ad spend, driving with an ad to a website with a freebie so that your conversion is somewhere between two and 10% if you're super, 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 super lucky. Mm. So, uh, and on best case scenario, a lead costs you $3 in your worst case scenario, 50 because of the algorithm changes. So you want to get to a million people and you have a conversion of three to 10%. I said, you're looking at an ad spend of about five million and up. Oh. Hmm. I said, you're not selling a million of these. No. Because you you just putting that number out there because it sounds like a good number, but you have no idea what the strategy is to actually get there because that's a there's a lot of tactical and technical things that are involved in that. And that's 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 why we have to say. That's where strategy is really important. And that's where strategy is not boring. But yeah. in order for you to sell a million of anything, that is a massive operation. In, and in order for you to get there, you have to have a plan on how to, how to make sure that this is so optimized that then, then we can turn up the heat. Yeah. To me, it sounds like the, where some people try to manifest and they think they can just have an intention and say, oh, I manifest this and then sit on the sofa. Right. So and it was for a while also like the people, it seemed like a trend that we have this big mission. I want to serve that many people. And, and then we just walk out in the world and bring out that message. But there's no foundation underneath or it's just what we're saying, right? That's also what I feel sometimes is in this crazy world out there that you just need to have the vision and then it will happen. But like you just said, without the strategy, we don't get anywhere without knowing the numbers, what it takes to get there. We don't um, like we're just spinning in wishful thinking, most likely. It's just like. Yeah. Well, that's that. And that's why people don't like strategy, to be really honest with you, Connie, because yeah. the strategy is a is an accountability tool. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to go out and say, I'm going to I'm going to get up, I'm going to have my coffee or my tea, I'm going to check my emails, I'm going to see what I'm going to do today. And you're going to do that day in, day out. You're not getting anywhere because the objective is if I want to sell a million of anything, I need to put a plan in place to make that actually happen. So how do I do that? Mm. And then you execute on that meticulously because you have a plan. And then people say, yeah, but that's a lot of work. I'm already busy as I am. 
yeah, you're busy, but not with the stuff that makes you actually money. Yeah. And not with not busy with a strategy that gets you there. You have to have a plan. And that plan is to be broken down in action steps and then you need to follow them. Otherwise, you're going to be exactly where you are for years and years. And that's where most people end up. Most business owners do the same thing over and over and over again. And then they are at the same space over and over and over and over again. Hmm. So do you help your clients also with, um, well, holding them accountable to execute or not? Because I think that's oftentimes, like if then somebody finally gets to the point where they understand, okay, I need a strategy and a plan and, and some some goalposts and daily need to know what I actually need to do. Doing it is then the next hurdle that I feel I have a lot of people trouble with to actually get to do it, what they figure out what they need to do. Yeah, part of our program is implementation. We call it the intentional implementer because I do agree with you, especially during the pandemic, a lot of people bought a lot of stuff on government mm -hmm. money and that stuff all sits there and they haven't executed on anything yet. And unless you execute, you can't, you know, you cannot, you cannot go anywhere. So we, we are expanding our programs into longer programs now because we feel that people do need execution help for sure. Yeah, because there's so much information, like technically you could create your own strategy, but as long as you're not really doing anything, you don't, you don't get anywhere. And so that's why I was wondering whether you um, offer that service too. I want to, I want to pivot a little bit because um, I, so when you help people actually execute their strategy and they're actually really growing and maybe that one person you were talking about you may not get to a million but you may get to thousands of sales but that also exposes us to sometimes um i don't want to necessarily say hate but just like la backlash and all that and i think you had to experience that too if i recall right from an interview i heard you speak about that was it with happy women happy world book or was it with your women empowerment platform where you got some yeah, backlash. Yes, I did. And, yes. and so I, I want to address it from this angle. So a lot of people hold themselves back, I think, either consciously or unconsciously worrying about this backlash. So how do you think around that and how we get past that before it happens? And how do we get through it if it happens? Well, there's a there, there, there's two parts to it. There's the emotional aspect of how you feel about it. And then there is the logical part on where it is, what it is. So in the women's code, what I had done is pre pandemic, I talked a lot about women leadership and women empowerment and the gender pay gap and all these kinds of different things. And when I did that, I had a good traction, did a lot, you know, keynoting. I was in Silicon Valley. I spoke about it, got great feedback. And then the pandemic came and I immediately sensed that the women empowerment had now completely been pushed aside again because of a much larger problem happening in the marketplace, which was our survival uh, first as a species and then the economy, econo economic survival. And what happens is that in the women empowerment space, it is every time there is an opening in the market for some men to fight back at women getting ahead, they will. 
And there were a couple of movements. There was the anti-MeToo movement. There was a movement called uh, Men Going Their Own Way, which are a lot of the involuntary uh, celibacy incels, uh, men that are incapable of connecting with women. And they had to find somebody to blame because it could possibly not be them. And they found me as the aging feminist. And there you were. And one found me and then 15 other followed and all with multi-million followers. Every man who's ever hated a woman who's ever been in a bad divorce, lost a child custody case, been accused of uh, of anything or it's just been bored, a bored truck driver driving, found me. And when you look at the kind of language and death threats and doxing, that came to a point where I had to sit down with my family and we had to talk about it and say, well, is it worth it? If mm -hmm. some nutcase shows up with a gun in front of my house and kills me because they got so incensed by this Wolfpack mentality. I mean, if you're logical about it and say, should women get paid the same amount of money for the same job? I mean, why would anybody even argue about that? That's just so stupid. Mm. But, but then there's the argument, well, women don't work as hard, but they get paid more just because they're women. I mean, I don't know. I know. Yeah, I heard it all. <laughs> I, I'm sure you have heard it all too. I heard it all. <laughs> And, and then there's a part where you have to make a decision and say, is this the audience I'm serving? And they're mm -hmm. not the audience I'm serving at all. No, no, yeah. I am not convincing any nutcase to look in the mirror and say, dude, it's you that's the problem. But it wasn't going. So it had to, it forced me back in another pivot to say, okay, well, if, if I don't want to be in this particular space, which space do I want to be in? And that's when we shifted to the growth architect. Mm -hmm. I still do a lot of work in the, in the, you know, with women and for women, but it's now just a part of what I do. It's not the main thing anymore for that reason. And that's a strategic decision and it's an emotional decision. And it's a personal decision. Yeah. I mean, I cannot endanger my family because I talk about things that should be talked about, but somebody who is over 50 and looks like me now is in a category that, and I'm sure you're in the same boat, we cannot get out of this category. People look at us and they go like, well, you're not young and cute. So if you have issues with men, it's because you are a bad person. You're a bad woman because you have angry poorly aging feminists with probably 50 cats at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's, um, who would have thought that in 2023, we're still here. I'm not exactly sure how old you are, but I remember when I was young, we already thought we're, <laughs> we're getting this equality going. And I remember my mom was told you have a husband at home, so you don't need to make as much money as a man and all these weirdo stories. And we're still in the same space and in, in some ways even worse, because now you have the internet where everybody can have um, an uneducated opinion and, and harass other people. And um, yeah, it's very sad.
And it's people very are okay sad. with that. And people are okay with that. And that oh, supposedly yeah. and that, that supposedly is. falls under under free speech. But you know, I I had read a book by Phyllis Chesler, uh, Women's Inhumanity to Women, and there was a line in the book where she says that she she felt that she had taken this cause as far as she could, and now she needed to hand it over to the next generation, somebody else to take up the fight. Yeah. And now I support younger women that have that factor of cute and 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 lovely and charming because of the perception of how younger women are viewed. They're not viewed as controversial as we are. Mm. So now I help them. That's why I became the growth architect. Yeah. Because there comes a point where in your development, it's no longer your ideas, even though you have these ideas, but it's your experience that can help other people with those ideas because they are the next one that take it one step further because I've taken a lot of things as far as I can take them. Now I have to help other people to take it further. And then if you look at it this way, it's a much better thought. Yeah. I agree. And I, I still think it's so sad because there would be so much. It's like the the women in at our age, they would deserve it too, right? They would like if if anyone deserves it a lot no i don't, I don't want to judge like this but i mean we would too and and we're and i agree with you the pandemic was a big setback because who ended up looking after the family and the children and the homeschooling and was usually the, the women it the women had to step back from their job and look after everybody so that the men could sit at home being in their bubble still working and because the men made more money. So the person that wasn't exactly that much so, money had to and so step then back. it all sounds always so logical, right? But why the F is it that way? <laughs> Not yeah. because it makes sense. It's no, just and then, and then we arrive back to yeah. should women get paid the same amount of money for the same job? Well, yes, but they're not. So they're then not. the men always gets preferential treatment. And then the men say, well, see, see, the men always have to work. The women get to stay at home. <laughs> A lot of women I know would have preferred not to homeschool. Oh, yeah. 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 So you wrote the book, Happy Women, Happy World. There is also the saying, happy wife, happy life. So how much is this happy women, happy world similar to the happy wife, happy life? It's like, because I do believe it's us women that, um, that that are the driver of the economies the, the are the the, the save like when you look at war times and stuff like it's then usually the women that keep it all running and still we're we're not in the same category or we're not looked at in the same category and also on top of it we always we are so ingrained in this system that we're t putting ourselves last right so in a way when i read your title happy women happy world I have a saying when you declutter your life, that's self-love. And I mean it in a way that you actually look after yourself so that you can go out and, and um, surf and do what you want to do from a strong position and not from an exhausted one. Yeah, the book I wrote because I 
after I sold my business to the Bill Gates company, they made me an offer to become the senior director for global entertainment. And I did that and I realized on how bad it really is in, in corporate America for women. And it's bad for two reasons. It's bad because of what women do to each other and it's bad of what everybody else does to women. And I don't think women can win in corporate America as in at all. Mm. I saw that the she tyrants and the bitchiness and the just knocking other women out is so rampant. And and honestly, I, I participated in this because I didn't know any better until I caught myself and I said, oh, I cannot do that. And you realize that it is the system that pushes everybody into that playing women against each other because if men can take out half of their competition by just making women hate other women, mm -hmm. of course they're going to do that because it takes out literally half of the competition. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote the book because I wanted to tell women in order for us to achieve equality. And that's what, you know, it's the book, happy woman, happy world that you can find on Amazon uh, as an ebook and audio book and as a printed book. Because I wanted women to have that sense of awareness and say, what am I doing? And, and, and get the logical background of why we are where we are and how this is fueled by society to be that. And then to say, okay, I better, I better, I better stop because the battle for women isn't here. The battle for women is out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad you wrote that. And I, I saw that too. And when I was in corporate, that's one of the reasons why I also left corporate, because it's not just, you're not just the underdog in every room, or most of the time, the only woman in the room. But then if there is other women in the room, then you get aggravated to, to have this cat fight, let's call it that. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I could talk with you for a really long time because this is really what what uh, interests me, but uh, we need to be a bit mindful. So I want to make sure you can talk about where people can find you, what where what their next best step would be if they would be intrigued to get to know you to maybe work with you. Yeah. So number one, I recommend everybody get the book, Happy Woman, Happy World. Then uh, the next thing, you know, go, you can listen to my show, The Business Growth Architect Show. It's a podcast. It talks about business and scaling and strategies and all that fun stuff. And we focus on giving you implementable things and breaking these things down so they're not so overwhelming and daunting. And if you have heard something where you go, I must speak to her, go to uncoverysession.com and um, schedule a 15-minute complimentary uh, business growth session with one of our business growth advisors. Make sure you mention this show so that you get preferential treatment. And uh, we'll be happy to talk to you about what's going on and to see if there's anything that we can do to help you to take this next step, whatever that next step is. We'll help you figure out, you know, what that block is that's in your way. And if you feel that you have a block, go to Business Growth Blocker and that, uh, I'm sorry, go to growthblockerquiz.com and find out what your number one business growth blocker is. And in about two minutes, there's a quiz we created and it's free and you can go through it. Then you'll find out what your number one business growth blocker is and how to fix it. And that's mm -hmm. the best way to get in touch. And I'm all over social media. So go check me out and drop in my DMs. 
Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I will for sure put these links you mentioned in the in the show notes, also your link to social media so they don't have to go and search for you. Um, before we wrap up, I always ask, is there anything we haven't mentioned? Is there anything that you feel needs to be said to round up this conversation? Yeah, I do think the most important thing, especially right now in this economy or in this climate or in this fear-based uh, nonsense where we are in right now, you cannot take failure personal. I want you to think about failure by by this story that I tell. So when you have a car with a GPS, ever so often the navigation needs to be updated, but you don't do it because you're busy. And then when you get in the car, you're like, oh God, I don't have time for that. I have to get their kids to the hockey game. You got to see my friend late for the movies meeting. And so one day the road that you typically take, the shortcut is now a cul-de-sac because they're building the freeway. So you're going to stop, you're going to get out of the car, you're going to throw yourself on the ground, you're going to throw a temper tantrum, you're going to find the worst driver in the world, I'll never drive again, I'm going to give the car back, that's it mm. for me, never in my life will I touch another steering wheel, driving sucks, uh, that's it, that's it, and my destination is probably already gone by the time being, will do nobody ever. What you do instead, you sit in the car, you wave at the person with a hard hat and the, and the neon suit with a reflective stripe and you said update the gps next time thank you can't take this way anymore you turn around and you drive away and i want you to think about failure in the exact same way failure is not the universe's conspiracy to make sure that you'll never drive your car again failure is the universe spirit god telling you this is not the right way so wave and move on your destination is still going to be Thank you, Beate. I think that is a very beautiful ending that a lot of people needed to hear. Thanks so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Connie. Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today and listening all the way to the end. If you found value in this episode, please share it with a family member, a friend or a business bestie. Because if you find value in it, they will too. And sharing is caring. Have a beautiful and amazing week and please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Talk to you next time. Take good care and be safe.